Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would take this time. And Lord, I ask for clarity tonight and be able to present the, the message I believe you would have from your word. We ask you to guide and direct our time and encourage us in serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Outline And tonight, uh, I will challenge you. It's... Um, we're going to try to just summarize. I believe that we've covered pretty much what we need uh, to in in this study. I mean, we've certainly covered what the Bible says about wine, and, and we have uh, certainly checked our work to make sure, and we understand that drunkenness is a sin like any different. I mean, any other sin. It is not the only sin, or should be the only sin. As we went through uh, society, we, we have found out that alcohol costs more than it gives. It, there is no honest benefit uh, whatsoever that is not far outweighed by the negative influences and things attached to it. Prohibition did not work. And, and the main purpose, and we'll cover again why, but just simply said... Prohibition didn't work is because the difference between right and wrong, morality, is not the job of the government. It's the job of believers serving Christ in his church. And whenever we seek righteousness outside the boundaries of the local church, we are going to fail. I've come up with a a little phrase, but if you don't understand the history, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's God save us from Oliver Cromwell. Uh, If you know English history, he was a religious man. He, in fact, stood up for the causes of right and morality and was able to usurp the king and actually effect the beheading of King Charles I, who, who was nothing but a tyrant and a very selfish and godless man, but... The oppressions under Cromwell and his regime as he set up his protectorate of the English people was far more strangulating than the monarchy was. And the whole purpose was, you see, Mr. Cromwell operated under the false assumption that the church and the state have to be in total and perfect agreement to obey God. Uh, There's only going to be one time in all of history when that happens, and that's when the Prince of Peace rules this world from the city of peace. The administration of this world, we understand, will reach its golden age when Jesus takes care of everything. But that hasn't happened yet. And contrary to popular belief, Jesus has not abdicated his authority or his person, or any of his attributes to any man, group of men, church, organization, or anything else. It belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? And so, what I want us to do here is just, if I can just tie in, I've got all these things that had just been crowding in my brain ever since we started this series, and tonight I'd just like to try to uh, put them all in one bag, tie it up, and say, hey, we're, we're done. I mean, I could make a sermon 
out of every point that we're going to make here in a few minutes. And, and I just don't feel led to do that. Um, but what we can do is, uh, if, if I generate more questions and answers tonight, uh, Andrew, let's look up for that question paper and make sure that's on the visitor table. And as you, you ask the questions, and as long as we have enough to fill up a service, we'll try to take at least one Sunday night a month and do question and answer as we've done in the past. And so the only requirement is it needs to be a Bible question or a question from real life that needs a Bible answer. Same thing. Amen? And so uh, let's just quickly do a summary here. Uh, I, I am so frustrated with people when they say, oh, that is your truth. Uh, and uh, they talk about alternate realities. And uh, what was the term our president came up with? Alternative truth. Uh, now, he did actually apply that term properly. He, he was trying to be nice and not call news media people liars. And so he just said they've come up with alternative truth. And alternative truth is a lie. If you can own the truth, you don't have it. Because truth is self-evident. Truth does not need to be proved. How many of you are familiar with plain geometry? Okay, I saw one finger move. Uh, okay, a couple others will admit to it. Uh, I know it's a technical term, but it can really be a lot of fun if you don't have to pass it to get out of high school. Amen? Uh, there, there's just a lot of thought process uh, there and, and a lot of thinking, but you take what is called a postulate. Okay, now, who designed a triangle to have the sum total of its angles equal 180 degrees? Uh, I'm not sure who figured that out, but, uh, and, uh, you know, a, a square equals 360 and, and, and so on and so forth. But what we're looking at here is these not everyone is willing to accept this book as God's final authority on society. Okay? If we're going to live in the real world, and we're talking about reality, last week's lesson was basically about escapism, about altering reality or creating your own reality, and I hope you uh, understand that is wrong. That, that is not acceptable in the life of a Christian serving God because how can you serve the ultimate reality by creating your own? Still together, everybody? Go like this. Okay. Um, so, but here are some of the basic worldviews, if we might, uh, socialism. We hear so much about that today. And, and basically, socialism is that society determines between what is right and wrong. How many of you know the legal definition of obscenity in the United States today? The legal definition. Uh, this came up about 35 years ago or so uh, as 
We had all of the outgrowth of pornography, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, obscenity began to be defined as a socially unacceptable presentation, basically. Something that society deemed un improper, and all you have to do is walk down 30th Avenue, walk down Steinway Street, um, and, and there there are obscene things, and what we mean morally objectionable. Uh, you know, frankly, when I walk past one of these vape shops, and they've got all the bongs and bings and whatever they do to do the dumb things they do with marijuana and other hallucinogens, is that not morally offensive? Hello? That that should be for sale. But see, society says it's okay. That's why under communism, gulags were a good thing. Because the gulags suppressed dissent against society. And who determines what society is? Well, those with the guns. Yeah. I mean, that's simply what it was. You had freedom to vote. But you vote for the wrong guy, and there's going to be a uh, group of thugs waiting for you outside the back of the voting booth to make sure that you don't make such a choice ever again. Because they want you to choose right because you want to choose right. And if it takes violence to get you to do that, well, that, that's perfectly acceptable under certain types of socialism. Now, now we're not trying to accuse everybody who embraces socialism of being a thug or, or um, uh, violence against other people, but how many of you are familiar with the term global warming deniers? Thuggery. Simple thuggery. And people will bully and push this whole vegan thing. Okay, if you don't want to eat meat, that's, that's your business. I'm going to. Uh, I believe in a great love for all God's created beings. Usually right there beside the potatoes and gravy. Amen? Uh, I mean, there's, there's just... There's, you cannot find a passage in the Bible that teaches this stuff. And therefore, we, But there are people out there that have committed all kinds of acts of violence, throwing acid in people's face and body because they wear fur coats. And I mean, these things have happened and will continue to happen because there are people who believe that the uh, society has the ultimate authority to determine what's right and wrong in some different manifestations. You have communism. You have the absolute monarchy or the fascist. Uh, really, these are both the same things. Uh, we're not talking about a controlled monarchy. What we're talking about is where the king says, off with your head. David was an absolute monarch. He gave the order to Joab to have um, Uriah killed. And what did Joab do? Boom. No more Uriah. And, and these are always taken advantage. Now, an oligarchy is, is a term you may not be familiar with, but an oligarchy is really what Russian communism developed into being. It is controlled by a small group. 
But could I challenge you, the Holy Roman Empire during the Middle Ages was also an oligarchy. And any time a church runs a state, we have this group or this organization running the government. And very similar to what Calvin designed in Switzerland when he was alive in the Middle Ages, it was an oligarchy, actually. The church or this little group of this organization had the right of final authority. And they always, the thing that is so strange is, uh, I, I brought this up to someone who is believing in Calvinists, and I said, you know, in Calvinist Switzerland, they determined how many pieces of silverware and how many plates and how many forks you could put on your table at supper at night. Does that sound rather intrusive into your personal freedoms? Well, it was. Where did they get this idea? Well, that's what government did before the oligarchy took over. This is why the Protestants follow such suit as the Catholics with baby baptism and all of these other things is because they're getting their standards from people or group of people. Then we have capitalism. Now you hear capitalism and socialism and of course you have to understand there's 40,000 different shades of all these. Capitalism is often associated with greed because the individual reigns supreme instead of society as a whole. And um, the, the, the point is we, we talk about democracy. Have you ever been in a place where everybody had an equal say on what is happening? Has anybody ever been there? I'll tell you what, I don't know that a pure democracy has ever existed in this world. Uh, I've met some pastors who claim, yes, yes, we, we have a pure democracy in our church and everybody has an equal say. And, and, and oh yeah, so, so what do you do? As a, well, I lead. Okay, wait a minute. If you're leading, how does everybody have an equal say? I mean, he who determines what gets put on the business meeting agenda controls the business meeting. Is that not that? That's why, as your pastor, I, I take that authority because I find it in the Bible that the pastor is supposed to lead the church. And, and so uh, we, we have ultimately anarchy. That is where everybody does what is right in their own eyes, and there is no one or anything that can stand up and give a final authority or a final decision between right and wrong. And if you believe that there are not anarchists and anarchist societies functioning in the United States and in the world at large, you are far, far deceived, my friend, because there are people who truly, in their heart of hearts, this is what they want. No society, no rights, nothing. And yet, every one of these anarchists truly desires to be their own dictator of their own little world. And the reason why we talk about these things in negative terms is because the answer is not in socialism, the best for society, or capitalism, the best for the individual, we offer a third worldview, and that is the Bible worldview. That there is a creator. 
and that He has made man in His image. And of course, we have marred that image. But that we as created beings have a responsibility, yes, a demand by the Creator to willingly submit ourselves to His authority and His rule. Does that sound like Bible to you? I mean, I haven't given you a lot of Bible references, but uh, you can find them. If you can't find them, see me afterwards. We'll give you lots of them. But God, as the Creator, is the ultimate authority. He chooses between right and wrong. And because God is that authority and has given all of us His commandments or His laws, we then have a responsibility to our fellow man to make decisions based upon the standards that God has set. Now, have you heard any terminology like that before as I've taught history from this pulpit as well as uh, sermons and things like that? You see, there was a group of men that came together and they said, we believe that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know where life came from? Genesis chapter 9, when they got off the ark, God said, If man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. They got that from the Bible. Liberty. If you cannot see that God gives man freedom to choose or reject him, you have not read this Bible, at least with a comprehending mind. Now, that pursuit of happiness was Thomas Jefferson's best way to obfuscate that he was getting these principles that the Congress that was then formed were understanding that the God they were referring to was the God of the Bible. Otherwise, he would have put in, and all the laws fulfilled with this, that thou lovest thy neighbor as thyself, the words of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what the pursuit of happiness is, is making choices based on what God says is right and wrong that will in turn be the best for mankind as a whole. Now, I don't mean to be too repetitious, but I want to tie this in. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, What's the next phrase? We have fellowship one with another. See, John's saying the same thing, just a little differently. You see, this is the biblical worldview. Why is that so important? Because if God is the final authority, as I've alluded to already, I do not have the right to create my own reality. I do not have the authority to determine what is right and what is wrong because God has already determined it. I, I've had people over the years, you, you still preach that same thing you haven't changed a bit. And I'm going, well, thank you very much. 
I don't think they're being very complimentary, trying to, but I, I count that, consider that a great compliment. Because we don't want to change. What we desire is to be obedient to the standard that God set. Amen? And not all the world is going to agree with that. Well, the Bible takes care of that. It says we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man until man asks us to disobey God. Read Acts chapter 4. Whether it be right to obey you or God, judge ye. That's what the disciples told the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees. And, and so, but I do want you to understand that if I meet someone that has an alternate world view, even though biblically they believe in a lie, biblically they have disregarded the authority of God, it's not really going to do me any good by sticking my finger in, my, in their face and say, you know, you're just a misinformed liar. That's what you are. Uh, and if you're not misinformed, that means you did it on purpose, which makes you double bad liar. Uh, I mean, there's just not very much complimentary or uh, in any method of conciliation that you can give to someone who believes that they are the ultimate choice between right and wrong. Uh, you know, there's a Bible word for that. It's called pride. Or someone that is so weak and so unwilling to think or do anything themselves that they're willing to make themselves one of those little mind-numb robots. Here's all you got to do. I don't care what's going on. You want to join the mind-numb robots. You only need to know a few words. It's Trump's fault. As long as you know that, you're going to be fine. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. As long as you'll do that, you're going to get a pat on the back and everybody's going to be happy with you. How many of you work with people like that? I don't because uh, I determine who works here at the church. Amen? Uh, but, I mean, we, we live in a world where that is there. Listen, it is never easy. God never intended it to be without resistance to live with Him in a world full of evil. But that choice you make, that's why sometimes, and I don't know how else to call it, uh, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan because most science fiction very quickly devolves into the realm of perverse and immoral and all of this, but the, it's called an alternative universe. And when someone chooses to determine their own right or wrong, we can use all the same words, but we're not talking the same language. There's, there's no communication. And this is where 90% of the problem is with evolution, alcohol, marijuana, cigarettes, gambling, pornography, virtual reality, rope. This is where all of those things just kind of fall in between. If we are coming from a biblical worldview, 
and the world is coming from an alternate worldview, then all of their knowledge and all of their understanding is built on lies. How can we find common ground? This is my greatest issue with the emergent church, with the ones that want to build bridges between us and the world. I don't want to build a bridge. What I want to do is throw you the lifeline of God's truth and drag you out of that swamp and help you stand on the solid foundation of God's truth. Can we say amen to that? So... I've painted, I hope you see that we live in a pretty dark world, do we not? Because 90%, 99% of the people we meet in this world, their entire understanding of life and God and everything is built on nothing but lies. They're either just believing what someone's told them or they're making it up themselves. One quick humor story. I think we can squeeze it in here. I was on Steinway Street. Oh, this had to have been 22, three years ago. We were just starting. And, oh, it was a hot summer day. And we were passing out tracks. And I met this little man in a three-piece suit and tie. He just made me sweat to look at him. And uh, I was just passing out tracks. He says, oh, may I have one of those? Well, sure. Oh, this is church. And I said, yes, sir, we're inviting you to Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And he said, next sentence was, I know where the missing links from evolution are. And I'm going, wow, this is going to be good. Get ready. And it was. It was unbelievable. He said, now I want you to understand. He said, evolution happened on a planet inside the constellation of the Pleiades. And when all of the life forms were properly evolved as they are today, Adam and Eve got on a spaceship and flew to Earth and began to populate the planet Earth. And I just opened my eyes real big and I said, where in the world did you come up with this? And here's what he did. He goes, right here. And, of course, I was not as mature spiritually probably as I should have been, but he was only about this tall, and so I just knelt down and I said, Sir, I want you to understand something. you got real problems right here, and just walked off. Uh, there, there's nothing you can do to help that. I'm sorry. I, that's not a made-up story. I wish it were. Uh, but... There's absolutely nothing you can do if that's what someone chooses to believe. You see, we live in a real world. And we have to make reality-based choices. We can't depend on spaceships and just made-up fantasies in order to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you understand, the church is the reality for the Christian today. That is all Jesus gave us. But you see, it's not the church 
that interprets the Bible. My job as the pastor is to point you toward Jesus Christ, is to give you an understanding. I've had many people over the years say, Oh, pastor, I wish I understood the Bible as well as you did. So do I. That would be great. Uh, read through it about 50 times, and then we'll sit down and talk. Amen? Uh, that's where you need to start. Um, you know, it's, it's been since 1982. You do the math. I, I would hope and pray that I would have a little greater Bible knowledge because I've spent my entire life doing nothing but this book. That's just reality. Amen? And I would be a poor pastor if I had not spent that time in this book and studying this book. And by the way, I, I don't study languages. I study the Bible. Uh, I study dictionaries. I study the meaning of words. And English is my opportunity. And should God clear out my schedule so I have nothing else to do, maybe I would pursue Hebrew. I'd love to pursue Hebrew and be able to read that language. But you know something? I've talked to people who have spent their whole life studying Hebrew and Greek. And the words of one old-time preacher in South Carolina said, the original languages say amen to my King James Bible. Now, he'd have a far more base than I would. And so I'll, I'll trust him. And I will study my Bible. Okay, uh, let's just review our study in wine. I, I do not see how that any person reading this Bible or understanding what alcohol does in the human body or in society as a whole can justify any use of alcohol as a beverage. And using wine and other alcohol as a medicine other than to kill germs. I'm talking about drinking it. Uh, you know, and I know, in all the old western, he's got a bullet. Okay, give him a slug of whiskey and he'll pull the bullet out. Uh, sodium pentothal works a whole lot better. And, and we have all kinds of anesthesia drugs and things like that. There, there is no excuse for anybody trying to use alcohol for anything other than what it is, a poisoner of the mind and a bender of reality. That's, you, you just can't go anywhere else and remain honest. By the way, that applies to drugs, does it not? Why do people drink? Why do people smoke marijuana? Why do people do all of these things that they do? is because they cannot abide by what is real. And so they're going to change what is real, at least for the time under the influence. By the way, isn't gambling just another opportunity to change reality? It is hoping that my financial reality will change by chance. You know what? Not going to happen. Oh, yeah, you might win the lotto. But look at the stories of people who've won the lotto. It's not a very pleasant story. 
dancing. Uh, you know, social dancing. Now, what they call ballet and expression and all of that stuff, uh, I kind of look at it very similar to what I do modern art. It is the wicked, perverse desires in man trying to find expression. If you want to understand Picasso, that's what it is. And all these blots and, sh- and weird shapes and, and all of this, it, it is man trying to describe what's going on in sinful man. But social dancing. If you came home, gentlemen, and found your wife in the arms of another man, holding each other closely, would you not think very ill of your wife? Hello? But if we put on some music, everything is fine. Because it's called dancing. Or men, your wife. Listen. God has meant for there to be barriers, separation between us as human beings. We're not all in this lifetime just one big group of people that's supposed to be reaching out and touching each other. The, the Bible is very clear about that. It says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And the first question is, if she falls down on the ice, you're not allowed to help her up? If you have to ask that question, it just proves the fact that you're looking for an alternative reality. Now, doesn't it? You see, oh, I, I was just talking with with a, a preacher, and he said, "Yeah, I had this fellow in my church, and he wanted to hug all the the women in the church." And he said, "The Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss." And and I said, "And I'll bet you." It wasn't the old women either. No, he said that was the weird thing. It was always the young ones and always the pretty ones. And, 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 that, and I said, well, what did you do? He said, I told him to take him and his hugging and go find some other church. Because our church didn't believe in that kind of Christianity. I said, wow, good for you. Uh, I, I said, that's biblical. Amen. See, what we're trying to do is dance and these social clubs and all of these things is is a opportunity for me to deal with the reality of my lack of social interaction. And, and alcohol is always there. Drugs is always there because, you know, some people are so obtuse that if you put them in a room with other people, everybody else would leave. But if you get everybody in the room, including that obtuse individual drunk, they all get along for a little while for some strange reason. Does that fit the definition of alternate reality? Are we allowed to have a little fun with this? And everyone in this room that used to live that lifestyle, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bring up bad memories, but you're thinking of somebody right now. I know you are. And that's the way the human mind works. And what we don't want is that. What we want is real. Amen? 
We do not have the opportunity in this life to... And this is the problem with the role-playing games where you sit there and, and everybody... This is why my kids do not dress up for Halloween. Uh, I, I've never let them dress up for Halloween. Now, when we have our international missions conference, we want you to dress up. And if you don't have a people group, find one. And ask God to touch your heart to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? But could I challenge you? Don't wear a burqa. Because when God saves, he gets rid of the coverings. Amen? We don't have to hide behind anything. We can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The issue is modesty. The issue is reality. And making laws is not the answer. Man is always chosen. Prohibition failed. Because Christians quit being Christians and advocated their responsibility to a government. And by the way, if what I read of Herbert Hoover is true, we, we will see him on the right side of eternity. But prohibition failed because he did not carry through and enforce the laws of the land. By the time he actually made it, uh, allowed it to be a felony to break all of the laws that were enacted by prohibition, FDR and his people were already in control of the news media and they only needed the stock market crash to completely remove Herbert Hoover from public discussion ever again. The Christians were totally locked out because anytime anyone said anything, oh, you're a, you believe in Hoovervilles. You, you believe in Herbert Hoover. I'll tell you what, this is what Herbert Hoover said about the Great Depression. It is not the government's job to run the economy. The economy is in the situation it is because people were dishonest and cheated and we need to punish them and turn things to where honesty reigns supreme. And what we got was a new deal. The most dishonest thing that's ever happened in American politics. Study it out. And I have aunts that she was my my aunt, one of my aunts was married during the depression and oh Herbert Hoover put food on the table. I mean, uh, Roosevelt put food on our table and Roosevelt did this and Roosevelt did that. And, and I'm sitting there going, wow. Talk about alternate reality. You study the history. The Depression was twice as deep and lasted twice as long as it needed to because of the policies. Study the history. It's there. But we need to get moving here. we got eight minutes for four hours worth of teaching. So we're not going to get it done. But... What I'm hoping to do is just give you a toolbox by looking at several passages here. Number one, the world in which we live is no more wicked than the world in which Paul lived, the Roman world. And here is what the Bible says. Verse 4 of Romans 14, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth, yea, He shall be holden up, for God is able to make 
him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, I am not of those who believe that only God can tell you what sin is because God wrote what sin is in the Bible. There is our authority. Um, but my job is not running around checking on everybody else's sin. Where, where should my main authority be? My, my main duty is to check on what's sin in my life. You see, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. That's the reason we get along at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Hello? Right? It's because we're striving to serve God the same way. Now, look here to verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, this is... Not talking about things the Bible has named as sin. This is talking about things that we might have opinions on. And again, the bottom line is here the real true life issue. Verse 16. Verse 15. Let's just read it. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, Now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, if you took whatever that is in your life that you have a question and apply it to love, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, can I tell you what the answer is? No. Somebody says, Pastor, what do you think about? I say, I don't, I, you don't have to tell me. The answer is no. If you're asking about it, does it fit in with love, joy, and peace of the Holy Spirit? Or Let me make sure I read that right. I'm sorry. Um, um, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he... That in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Do you know what? That might preclude me from doing some things that I might want to do personally. There are just certain places I don't go. There are certain things I don't do. I don't go to movie theaters. You say, but isn't renting the video and watching it at home the same thing? No, it isn't. Because when I rent it and watch it at home, I know exactly what I'm watching. If I go into a movie theater, you have no idea what I'm watching. Now, do you? And most movie theaters don't only show family-friendly good things. And, and that, that's just why we do this. Why? Because I am living a life that other people are watching And other people are following. I live in a world where I have a responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ to make decisions that are going to help other people follow Jesus Christ. You know, if we just put that in there, how much of this would we have a problem with? 
Amen? And, and we move on. And I want you to read Romans 14 and, and spend some time there. But in 1 Corinthians, and let's just look through these verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and I've had this verse quoted at me so many times. And, uh, of course, out of context, verse 12 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You want an explanation of that verse? Turn over to chapter 9 and look at the last verse here. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let's look at verse 10 and, uh, chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. You see... Trying to use the Bible to justify what you want to justify is unjustifiable, is unbiblical. What we need to do, and by the way, none of us will be perfect in this, but that's not the goal. The goal is to walk as closely to Jesus as we can. Can we say amen to that? This is why. No alcohol, any shape, form. That's part of our church. We've had people over the years that say, Pastor, I, I got a problem with smoking. I said, okay, let's, let's deal with that problem. Because you can't be a member of the church professing faith in Jesus Christ, attached and controlled by a habit like that. Uh, I don't know how many people we turned away over the years because a man and a woman were sharing an apartment without the blessing of marriage. Hey, and the one that always gets me, but we're not doing anything. Okay. Uh, either you're a liar or you've got a whole lot bigger problems than you think you do. I mean, that's just where we are. That's reality. God did not intend for nothing to be happening. He intended for a husband and a wife to live together inside the bonds of marriage. Amen? We, we've had to make some very uh, difficult decisions over the years because here's what these verses are telling us. I will not be brought under the power of any, lest I myself, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, should be a castaway. Do you know, there are people that have been drawn into sin because others have allowed things in their life. Billy Sunday was one of the strongest preachers against alcohol during the Prohibition. In fact, he was one of the three or four most influential people about bringing about Prohibition as a legal status in the United States. And all three of his sons lived and died the lives of alcoholics. 
You see, the emphasis isn't on the sin because if that's all you emphasize, that's where you're going to end up. The emphasis has got to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's got to be living in his church. It's got to be following what the Bible says. We, we need to set a, a worthy example. We need to make sure that we're not putting something in front of someone that could be a stumbling block. I remember years and years ago, real quick, somebody brought a cake to a church social. And somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, this is a rum cake. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He says, here, taste it. I said, no, no, I'll take your word for it. And, and I took that thing and just threw it in the garbage when no one was looking. And the poor fellow was almost crying because he wanted to take that thing home because he had had a real problem with that in his life. And just that one little taste had awakened a lot of things in him that was absolutely terrible. You know, the person that did it, did it in total ignorance. They had no idea what a rum cake was. They just thought it looked cool and bring it to church. But let me tell you, there are all kinds of stumbling blocks we can cast in front of other people. You know, sometimes losing our temper or being impatient with other people can be a stumbling block, can it? You know that God has not called you to straighten everybody out. He's called you to walk as straight as you can. Amen? You see, that's what Hebrews chapter 12 is all about here. Let's just go over there and we'll be done tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. And I hope you understand, there's an awful lot that could be said that I'm not saying. And I, I'm, my prayer is, as the pastor of this church, that the Holy Spirit be able to fill in those blanks and be able to help us. But look, look at verse 12. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. By the way, what do you do with, when your hands are raised and your knees are bent in the Bible, typically? That's prayer. That, that's why it's important to be at prayer meeting on Sunday night. Encourage other people to pray. It, it says, And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. It, it ought to be simple to follow. If someone was following you to Jesus, would they be able to find him? I'll tell you what, you could never find Jesus following the Calvinists because of all the strange twists and turns of their doctrine and their... Uh, it says, follow peace with all men. What's that next one? And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane... Person is Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. You know, this is the life of the Christian. This is the struggle of our church. Is we want to encourage you to pray. We want to pray with you. We want to lift those hands up to God. Paul said, "I would men everywhere lift up holy hands." Amen. 
We want to strengthen the feeble knees. We want to help make it simple to follow the Lord. You said, but it's not so simple giving up all those things. Oh, wait a minute. Have you tried it? How many of you remember Ted Monsoor when he was here? Sharon's husband. He said one of the things, Ted was a punk rocker. He had moved to New York City to pursue a career in rock and roll music. And he was living in New Jersey and he got saved and he came to our church and he said, the one thing that just intrigued me more than anything, he said, he said, your family was like Little House on the Prairie. He said, it was just a simple life in all this confusion. How many of you found it simple, much more simple to follow the Lord than to try to make it in the world? Would you say amen with me there? You see, that's what we're trying, that's, that's Hebrews 12 here. And we have to watch because bitterness can spring up. Sometimes we get so comfortable with God's forgiveness that that spirit of profanity comes up within us. And we take the sacred things of God and make them common. We, we have to watch those things. You see... What we're trying to deal with is the influence of outside things on my understanding and my perception of reality. That's, that's the real life issue. The reason I don't drink alcohol, never have, by God's grace, never will, is because I don't know about you, but I've got enough problems telling the difference without anything causing me undue disconnection. Amen? Was that said okay? You know, I try to be nice once in a while. But the way I've put it over the years is I have so little ability and little sense in serving God that I need to be in total control of the little bit I do have at all times. Amen? And it's not only alcohol. We live in a world full of distractions, a world full of mind-altering experiences. Does that mean you can't watch a movie, you can't read a book that's not super reality? No. But if you find yourself trying to live in a fantasy world that's not real, waiting for Prince Charming in his golden armor or whatever. I'm mixing all the stories up. Uh, you know what? You just have to get back to where the world is real. And as I do, I'm going to find out there's a lot of other people struggling to do the same thing. And we work together in the church. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, just ask that you would help us to get out of the big picture and into the little picture more of choices that I need to make today and tomorrow to live for you. And Lord, I pray the spirit of our church, would we would strive together to make it easy make it easier for those who come in and visit us from a world of lies and deception to see 
the joy and the simplicity and the righteousness that is truly in Jesus Christ. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name. And before we finish that prayer, the altar's open if you need to pray.